Associate Friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This week, we're talking all about possibilities. On Monday's show, we talked about the adjacent possible, and this week, or excuse me, tonight, we're talking about the deep possible, possibilities that are just a little bit farther out there. I'm Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? I'm feeling possible or whatever. I, yeah, this <laughs> You're this loaded with potential, Stephen. But yeah, it's deep potential. potential. That's the thing. It's, That's right. Deep potential. I feel like I'm I'm loaded with deep and hidden possibilities, which we'll discuss hidden <laughs> the hidden possible on Friday. But you know, Wednesdays have traditionally been amazing Wednesdays around here on this program, and I feel that we're going to get into some amazing topics tonight because we talk about the deep possible. We're talking about some possibilities that actually seem like they should be just ahead or that we should have already accomplished, but a few that we know by definition are way out there. We're using the metaphor of the adjacent possible as though time was kind of this process of moving through a building. We're in a room, that's the present, and the adjacent possible is all those scenarios that are one step away, that we're locked and loaded for, and that we simply have to move into the next room to realize those. Tonight, we're not talking about those. We're talking about some that are at least a couple steps away, that probably has been the subject matter of most of the shows we've ever done, right? This show could almost be called The Deep Possible, pretty much. Yeah. I I think that's fair. Um, We we do spend a lot of time talking about blue sky kind of things, and... That's definitely what this is. This, you know, you could think of the adjacent possible as one of those things that if, if you don't rush down to the patent office and patent it as soon as you discover it or you invent it, you, you know, you, you better rush because someone's right behind you, right? That's right. That's uh, right. But whereas the deep possible, if you happen, happen to stumble into something that, you know, you, if, if you don't do it, it may not get done for a while, right? Right. Right. Uh, I, I would. That's one way. Another way of looking at it, anyway. Well, we want to explore the future. We want to get to where these are adjacent. That's that's the whole idea. And the exciting thing about the future is watching things move from deep possibilities that seem very remote, very far away, to suddenly coming into focus. And suddenly we're saying, "Wait, well, is that just in the next room? Let's go look." Right. That that that's kind of the excitement that we've experienced over a number of things. Some of them we talked about on Monday's show, and a few of them we can talk about here tonight. The first one, I've got this story, a real-world Star Trek replicator is now possible thanks to new breakthrough. Now, I want to point out, I got this story from PJ Manny, who was not pleased with what she considered to be the kind of overly hyped tone of this piece. But let me just read a quick section from this. It says, the discovery of carbon nanotubes in 1991 led scientists to develop hundreds of functionalizations for nanotube openings. Most of these can be useful as molecular gates. The key innovation at Mattershift, excuse me, this is not from the story that's linked. This is from the Mattershift, the company they're talking about. It's from their website, I should clarify. The key innovation at Mattershift has been to create an inexpensive and scalable platform for this library of gates. With the ability to deploy programmable molecular gateways at scale, we believe practical molecular factories are now possible. So what I said, my my answer to PJ was, well, if they're right, this is kind of like talking about the anti-aging treatment on Monday's show. If this is true, this is kind of hard to overhype. Maybe calling it. It's one of those things that it'll change everything if it's true. 
Right. You know, this is this is very much akin to the. Uh, um, you remember uh, John Storrs Hall's uh, concept of utility fog. This this is close to that, isn't it? Uh, I think uh, what he uh, what uh, John Storrs Hall actually envisioned was a uh, was a was little robots that sort of held hands in various ways. This is a little different from that. It's it's not a robot. It's a molecule. It's it's a carbon molecule. And they're just saying we, we can we can make these things hold hands in different ways and make it do different things, uh, and, you know, by by way of a program, right? So that's that's right. Basically, I, I would say this is this this is a couple steps away from the utility fog, because because that would be kind of a mobile version of that. And the image I have in my mind of this is kind of that nano factory that Eric Drexler described in the sequel to, what's it called? Radical Abundance, the sequel to Engines of Creation. In Radical Abundance, he talks about this factory for making anything, and it would work very much like what's described here, like these molecular hooks that can basically be used to create just about anything that you want to make. So it's the beginning of, I mean, I love that they use the phrase programmable matter. That, well, they say programmable molecular gateways. That's what we're shooting for eventually, programmable matter. And that's where you, ultimately you end up with your, with your utility fog, with, with <laughs> little flying bits of nanobots going around, you know, creating George Jetson's car out of his briefcase or whatever. This is, this is a couple steps shy of that. So that, I, I guess that would be PJ's reason for, for being cautious about it. But Man, once you're putting stuff together at the molecular level, everything is different. This is a different world we're going to. Well, be you certainly in. can get some exotic materials that are just not possible naturally. And uh, that's right. And so there's there's all kinds of neat things that can be done with that. It's it's an enabling technology that's huge. But so you know, deep, deep possible. We're we're thinking this is, you know, this is not something that all the all the uh, things are ready now. Matter shift is hyping it a little differently. I would say if what matter shift is offering, if their programmable molecular gateways, a factory built on those, is the adjacent possible, then perhaps the real world Star Trek replicator or the utility fog or the nano factory, those are the deep possible, right? But we're we're gotcha. one step closer to those to those possibilities now. What what they're doing is they're enabling those possibilities. Let's get in the room with this one and see what other rooms are going to open up for us. I think some amazing things are going to open up. Let's talk about some others. I've got post-scarcity listed as a deep possible because that is a downstream scenario, I think, from technologies like the Universal Assembler. And it's a downstream technology from post-employment, which, if you'll recall, we listed yesterday, or excuse me, on Monday's show, we listed that as the adjacent possible. So that's a bit of a problem, right? We want to go yeah, from... Yeah, you got, you got a period of time between... Yeah, I, I feel that I feel that that's probably been one of our biggest problems around this whole issue. Is actually when you frame it as different kinds of possibility, I now finally see what the problem is. I feel like we truly are one room away from a lot of people losing their jobs, but we're not right. just one room away from figuring out how to make it okay. <laughs> yeah, which which was what post scarcity would be. I mean, yes. yeah, if, if everyone had their universal assembler already in their house, plugged in and ready to go. You know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to lose your job, but uh, yeah, I, there's, it's it, it's not uh, we're not there yet. So yeah, so it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a conundrum there, isn't it? So yeah, well, I'll tell you, the ones that are deep, 
those are the ones that tell you we've got work to do, especially when the outcome is so important to us. And I think post-scarcity is a very important goal for us. I like that we talked a lot on the Monday show about Elon Musk, and there's a man who has some goals, right? Get people to Mars. Get a settlement on Mars. He thinks in terms of what, what we've talked about in other shows is the BHAGs, right? The big, hairy, audacious goals. We need, we need a big, hairy, audacious goal around post-scarcity because that should be a much closer possibility. We have technologies that will enable it, but I don't think we quite have the killer app on it yet. There are so many different switches that have to be pulled, so many different problems that have to be solved, and a lot of stuff has to come together. Um, we really need to work on that one and make it closer. All right, some other deep possibilities. I've got interstellar yeah. travel listed yeah. as and, and of course we, we mentioned Mars as as being adjacent possible on Monday. Interstellar travel, um that's that's a tougher nut to crack. It is uh it's quite possible we could have probes, interstellar probes, certainly this century. Yeah. We could uh we could be sending out interstellar probes and uh, you know, I've read a couple of articles about uh, possibilities for doing that. You'd uh, you'd accelerate things to close to the close to the speed of light. Um, you know, a substantial fraction with uh, with lasers and um, and very small probes, and you you could get it to Alpha Centauri within twenty thirty years. That's you know that's interesting, and it's and but it's deep. I would say it's it's something that could ha- definitely happen this century, though. Yeah, we, we're we're adjacent to setting up the infrastructure to do unmanned probes into interstellar space. But that's an important step. We were talking on Monday. One of the things I said was one of the things that put us adjacent to sending people to Mars was when we landed a robot craft on Mars, right? We, we, when we landed right. the, the, the first Viking lander on Mars, that was a big step towards eventually sending a human being to Mars. And you know what? If you go back to the moon, we landed, what was yep. it, Pioneer, I believe, on the moon before we ever landed any humans on the moon. So it's a, that's a very consistent process that we go through. I mean, we got a couple of years ago, we got closer to sending people to Pluto, right? When we, <laughs> when we send an unmanned probe <laughs> to Pluto. So uh, I think that that would be a great, that would be a great step in that direction. It's going to be very interesting to see interstellar become less deep of a possibility as time goes by. One of our favorite topics, digital immortality, truly a deep possibility, right? I mean, that's about as, as deep as it can get. And in fact, I, I guess at some point, the deep possible runs into the, is it even possible, right? That's kind of the question right. where we, we have to question where a thing is even a possibility. We don't know for sure. A lot of, a lot of, folks of course, think, it goes back to our, our long, long-held discussion of, you know, if, if you do a destructive scan of my brain, Phil, do I get to make the trip or, you know, is it just a copy of me that's hanging out in digital immortality? So, you right. know, th- these are philosophical discussions that, uh, well, we're not likely to get to the bottom of any time soon. We, uh, we, we talk about well, that you know, not, especially not in a 15-minute show, that's for sure. But <laughs> I, yeah. I, I feel that, I feel that uh, we haven't made a lot of progress on that one yet. Although I will say definitionally, if I don't go along for the ride, I don't call that immortality. Okay, there. It's just that right. simple. That's, that's, that's not immortality in my book. That's, I mean, maybe the copy is immortal, but... Um, I, that doesn't feel the same to me. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Also, uh, we, we want to just note the fact that a lot of the possibilities that we think of as adjacent may prove to be deep. And there is a inverse to that, too. Sometimes we think something's going to be really far off, and it pops right into our view, and suddenly we're, we're working on it. But I like the example of nuclear fusion, because I think it makes 
it makes a really clear distinction there. You know, in the 1940s, we invented nuclear fission weapons, and shortly after, we developed commercial nuclear power from those same kind of reactors. Then, in the 1950s, we developed nuclear fusion reactors, excuse me, nuclear fusion weapons, and we said, okay, well, by the same token, we should be very close to having nuclear fusion power plants. It took a few years to get from the, the nuclear bomb to the nuclear power plant. It shouldn't take very long to get from the thermonuclear bomb to the thermonuclear power plant. And here we are 60-some years later, going on 70 years later, and fusion is still down the road somewhere, right? We, yeah. I, I linked to a thing on Facebook the other day that said we're about 15 years out, and somebody quipped, I think everybody quipped, weren't we 15 years out 15 years ago? And yeah. certainly for my whole life, as long as I can remember, we've been 20 to 30 years away from um, nuclear. Actually, I think what you said was, well, it used to be 30, so 15 is better, right? I think that's yeah, it, it's, uh, it's progress, Bill. You got, you know, we got to take it as progress, right? Uh, we we will take we will take that as progress. But the point is, we thought we were adjacent to fusion, but it's proved to be a lot deeper. It's a stubbornly deep problem to solve. And some you know, of there's other some other things that I can give a counterexample. Um, what about the transatlantic cable in the 19th century, Phil? I mean, did anyone have any reason to be to expect that we would be able to accomplish that? You know, in in, in, in big, the Victorians be able to accomplish that, right? I mean, we're talking you know 19th century uh, delay a cable all the way across the Atlantic and, and for instantaneous communication with a new world. That that turned out to be uh, happened much quicker than anyone had any reason to expect. So absolutely, well. The, yeah. You think about industrialization, uh, probably we're jumping to Friday's show there because that was probably the hidden possible, right? And uh, yeah. w w one of those lucky ones that we actually did realize even a century, more than a century ago, quite, quite a long time ago. And I think that's exactly right. It, it can work either way. We can think something's in the next room and it's really a long meandering path away, or we can think something that is not there, won't be there for a long time, and there it sits, right? That's kind of the... Yeah. That's that's the beauty of this, and that's why it's important to look at these possibilities and see if we can get a feel for what the actual momentum is towards it and what it's actually going to take. So a lot of these things we talked about. Yeah, I, on, I think a mistake is often made by by people feel that if something is thought to be uh, you know so earth changing, then it can't be adjacent, right? If it's the, right. the bigger the impact on the world, the less it's considered to be adjacent by by somebody. But that's the wrong metric. It's uh, it's not whether it's it, it'll change the world uh, hugely or not. It's whether it can be done or not. That's and, right. Uh, and sometimes sometimes we change. You know, uh, we we look back on something and say, well, you know. Uh, Everyone thought that no, you know we'd never be able to fly, you know, right? And 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 then in 1903 we do, right? And, uh, and exactly. that changes everything. So it was you no, know, it was it was the deep possible when Leonardo was drawing those airplane pictures, and it became adjacent very rapidly sometime in the late 19th century, and then suddenly in the 20th century, we had we had flight. So yeah, a lot of things we talked about on Monday may turn out to be deep possible. But a lot of things that we're not even expecting may turn out to be adjacent. And that's what we're going to talk about next time when we explore the hidden possible. So it's been a lot of fun so far. I hope you'll all join us for part three on Friday. And until next time, live to see it. Mm -hmm.